Hear the word of the Lord from Revelation 1, 4 through 8. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So now our great God, we receive this word that you've given to your church as a gift, and we receive it in need, in need of your spirit to work, in need of your power to be poured out upon your people, in need of hope, in need of love, in need of joy, in need of peace, and longing for Jesus. Oh, Lord, I pray today that you would stir in your people a longing for Jesus. Pray this in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Please take your Bibles. Turn to the book of Revelation chapter 1. Book of Revelation chapter 1. This Advent season, this is the fifth Sunday of Advent, our sermon, our our Advent text, our sermons have come from these verses in Revelation chapter 1, which Brandy read for us. Today, we are going to look particularly at verses 7 and 8, particularly verses 7. Each year, the church celebrates, whether they call it Advent or not, they celebrate the coming, we celebrate the the coming, the appearing of Jesus, the Savior, the Redeemer, the Lord, born of a virgin in a stable, in an obscure place called Bethlehem. We celebrate that Christ has come to bring salvation, to bring hope, to show God's love and mercy and compassion, to fulfill God's promises and to lead God's people to say our yes and amen is in Jesus. But really, that's not exactly where the Advent season leaves us. It leaves us longing for Christ. Frankly, it leaves us waiting for another appearing. And I don't feel that I, as a pastor, have led you well if I don't lead you right back to the same anticipation and hope and longing for Christ that God's people had before he Now, we know the Savior's name is Jesus. We know what he came to do. We have a greater understanding of God's purposes and plans. And yet, 
we long. Yet we live in a broken world. Yet we still feel the effects of the curse and of the fall. Yet we're left to hope. Let me just prove this for you right out of the gate. Who here is already a little disappointed with your favorite gift from yesterday? All of us, right? It's a nice little metaphor for where we are. There's this thing under a tree or in front of a chimney, however your family does your tradition. I'm not trying to get into that. There's this thing and you see it and you yearn for it and you long for it and you hope for it and you open and you're like, it's here! And then you start to play with it. Look at it, use it, and you're like, "Eh, maybe it's not everything I made it out to be. Now, don't hear me saying that our Lord is not everything he's made out to be. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that still faces the effects of sin and death and rebellion. And the offspring of sin and death are are all throughout the world. And Christ has defeated it. Christ has promised deliverance. But we live in this tension of longing. And yet, it's not all here. Friends, the tension is where the Bible leaves us. But the vision for the faithful is that Christ is coming again. The vision for the faithful is that all of the not yet will be in Jesus. The vision for the faithful is that all the longing will be satisfied in Jesus. The vision for the faithful is that all the brokenness will be healed and restored in Jesus. And he's going to come back in a clear and definitive way where we will see it and we will know him and we will be with him and he will be our king and we will be his people forever. So John ends this passage about Jesus by saying, Focus on he who is coming again. Now, before we dive in, I want to say one more thing. Those of you that have been around Redeemer have probably heard me say this hundreds of times. I'm starting to get old and just repeat myself more and more and more. It's just probably going to all be downhill from here. Um, But one of the things we often say is one of the shortcomings in the way our faith is presented is that sometimes it gets presented as you're a sinner and you need a savior and Jesus is your savior. Come to faith. Now, we just got to wait till he comes back. That's a really short-sighted view of the scripture. But the answer is not to take out the coming back. The answer is to so value the coming back, so hope in the coming back, so long in the coming back that we live as transformed beings. We live as a kingdom and priest unto our God in this world in such a way that he's made winsome. He's shown to be powerful. He's shown to change all of the stuff now. That's the calling for this life. But we must have a vision of him coming back to fuel us going forward. So we leave this Advent season being called to a longing that will only be satisfied when our Lord returns. Let me rephrase that. Only be satisfied fully when our Lord returns to forever dwell with his 
John 1 tells us that Christ came to dwell among God's people. Acts 1 tells us that the the crucified, risen, ascended Christ sent his spirit to be the presence of God among the people. And Revelation 1 tells us that Christ will come again to physically and fully dwell with his people forever. This is our hope. Now, that was all introduction. And that's everything I have to say. So if you don't want to listen this morning, there you go. Merry Christmas for me. But let's dive into these verses. And let's see how John, the author of Revelation, makes this clear. Verse, the first point, if you're taking notes, is Advent again. Advent again. Verse 7 begins this way. Behold, he, the he is Jesus, is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. So that first part of verse 7 is what we're looking at right here. And here is what John is saying. Jesus, the king, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of earth, he is coming again. And with the clouds doesn't just mean from where he is coming. It doesn't merely mean he'll make the clouds his horse. I don't even think that's what it means at all. But rather, with the clouds is a biblical phrase intended to trigger the vision of God's king coming to establish the kingdom that will never end. You're like, well, I don't see that. Okay, that's fine. But if I say to you, amazing grace, what comes next? How sweet the sound. They say, like, like, it's just, it's like, it's dog whistle, right? Like, we get it. Right. There's a biblical sense here that coming with the clouds was intended to trigger a vision of God's Messiah, the Son of Man, coming to right all the wrongs and establish the kingdom that would last forever. The clearest place this is laid out is Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Daniel chapter 7. Verses 13 and 14. Let me just read it for you. Hear hear what's being triggered. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there's our phrase, there came one like a son of man, parentheses, son of man was the, the title that Jesus claimed for himself more than any other title in his earthly ministry. And he came to the ancient days and was presented before him. And to the Son of Man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So when John says, behold, he is coming with the clouds, what he is saying is, He's coming to establish the reign of God with the people of God that will continue unbroken and unending forever. And every eye will see him, meaning it will not be 
missed. His coming will be known. Everyone will see and comprehend that Christ has come to establish God's kingdom forever. Okay, Jamie, that's good. Thanks. I want you to understand what John thought this reality of his coming would do. Let's go back a little bit, okay? Go back to the middle of verse 5. This is where we were on Christmas Eve. To him who loves us, that's Jesus, and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And then what's the response? Amen. It is true. Christ died for us. He loves us. He's made us a people. He's made us his representatives. And he'll get glory and dominion forever. And that gets amen. It is true. Now watch this. Behold, he's coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. And what does that get? English really botches this. Even so, amen. A better translation would be, yes, amen. Let it dwell deep within. He's coming. So take your favorite football chant and gird it up from deep within. Even so, amen. Man, what John's saying is our hope rests right here. Christ is coming to make it all redeemed, all restored, all renewed. All the enemies are vanquished. It is all gone and Christ's people will enjoy Christ unhindered forever. Yes and amen. Friends, and this is going to push us to our second point, I very simply believe that the more we understand our own brokenness and the more we understand the depths of brokenness all around us, the more we understand that while Christ has defeated sin and death, we still live in a fallen world. And we're waiting on something that's going to break all of that forever. We need that. Come, Lord Jesus. Yes and amen. Now, he's coming whether we long for him or not, but John is writing this to a suffering people to give them hope. He's writing this to a suffering people to encourage them as they walk forward in him. What will happen when Christ returns. This pushes us to our second point. All things new. Christ is coming to make all things new. Let's keep reading. The second half of verse 7. 
says, every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. So even those who rejected him and killed him and were his enemies. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Some of your translations may say, mourn on account of him. Now, what this is telling us is that when Christ comes, there will be a reckoning. When Christ comes, there will be a dispensing of justice. When Christ comes, there will be an eternal kingdom that of which or within which there are none of Christ's enemies. So one way, and there are two, one way that verse 7 is historically been translated is that when it says, those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, that means that they will see him and see whom they have rejected and see the judgment that is coming their way and they will wail and mourn because they have rejected the king. That interpretation is completely consistent with the scripture and completely, in, completely consistent with the rest of the book of Revelation. There will be a reckoning. Now, our Christian response to reckoning is not, that's right, down with my enemies. Friends, I see way too much of that coming from the church these days. But to those of you who've been deeply wounded, experienced the pain of sin and death deeply in your life, this passage says there will be a reckoning. I mean, what does the New Testament tell us to do with our vengeance? Leave it to the Lord, right? Any other angry people like me that, that really struggle with the three to three times in the New Testament, it says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord our God. No, I want it now. When Christ comes, there will be a reckoning. And when Christ comes, there will be a redeeming. There will be a making all things new from the broken shambles of life. All the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so, amen. Historically, the second way this has been interpreted is that the wailing and the mourning is the wailing and mourning of repentance. That the wailing and the mourning is the wailing and mourning of turning to Christ. I think that's also consistent with the scripture. I think that's also consistent with the message of the book of Revelation. And today, I'm taking both. 
I think both can be true at the same time. There will be a reckoning and there will be a redeeming. And one of the massive truths throughout the book of Revelation is that all the peoples of the earth to the ends of the earth will find their redemption in Jesus. And we cling to that hope. So there'll be a reckoning, which means that wrongs will be righted. There will be a redemption, which means people will find their hope in Jesus and there will be a forever healing. One of the traditional Christmas hymns that has struck me most this year. If you're like me, it's a different one every year. Do anybody besides me resonate with that? This year, it was the third verse of Joy to the World. Just in case you don't have that memorized. I'm going to sing a solo today. I'm just kidding. The third verse of Joy to the World. No more let sins and sorrows grow nor thorns infest the ground. He, being Jesus, comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Far as, far as the curse is found. This hymn is talking about to the depths of where sin and death Rain and are present and still still bring pain and hurt and brokenness, even there, all the way to the depths of the curse. Christ has come to make his blessing flow even there. So if you're a Christian today, what the scripture says is you've been forgiven of your sin, you're loved by God. And you're a kingdom citizen forever. And yet, the scripture also tells us that we've been left in a broken world. We still walk in and feel and struggle with our own sin. We still walk in and feel and struggle with the sins of others done to us. We still live in a world where there's addiction and there's depression, and there's anxiety, and there's fear, and there's relational brokenness. And I'm not saying that necessarily any or all of that is sin. I'm just saying it's consequence of fall. It's the curse still being present. So however you're experiencing the curse today, this passage says that when Christ comes again, His blessing is going to flow all the way there. So in the reckoning, the redemption, and the healing, looking to that Christ in that way for that salvation, that's where I find the gusto for Even so, amen.
and so. Amen. You know, it's a little ironic that I stand here and look at y'all and y'all all look at me like y'all got the short end of that stick for sure. But um, one of the things about being a pastor is I look out here and I see where the curse is flowing in your life. I'm not saying your sin. I'm saying where you're experiencing the effects of a fallen world most acutely. I get the joyful, sacred privilege of knowing that. And then I get to stand up here and watch you nod your head as I say, even so, amen. And I get to watch you believe because this is the Lord that we serve. So what I'm praying this Advent is that we're a people with such confidence in Christ who is coming again for his people to bring his kingdom and so that we will experience his joy forever. What I'm praying is that we'll be so overcome with even so amen that we'll go and we'll live and we'll turn away from sin, and we'll fight for obedience, and we'll walk in holiness, and we'll tell others of Jesus' love, and we will send people to the ends of the earth because he is coming again. Even so, amen. You say, okay, Jamie, give me a, a little more help. Help me. I, I want to give to you Revelation chapter 21 and 22. Revelation chapter 21 and 22. Here in chapter 1, we get, Behold, he's coming with the clouds, and, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. 21 and 22 give us this expanded, beautiful, hopeful vision of what it would look like for a life where there is no fall or curse or brokenness at all. And I give you the God who is able to do all things. If you're an astute listener of Scripture, you're like, dude, you hadn't even touched verse 8. Here we go. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, anytime we hear Alpha and Omega, we go, oh, A to Z, first letter of the alphabet, last letter of the alphabet. True, but that's really missing the point. Alpha and Omega means I'm the everything in everything. From the beginning to the end and everything in between, I'm the everything. That's our Lord who is currently, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty, which is an intentional word to mean the one who accomplishes his will by his power always. He is Almighty. He was Almighty. He will be the Almighty. We trust in this God. We trust in this God.
So now our Father and our God. As much as what has been said this morning is true and right and just and good, we pray that you would cause your people to hear and receive what's been said, to believe and trust in you, and to have hope. Have faith, have love. We pray this in Jesus' name.